to the next episode of the On The Brink podcast. I took a little bit of a hiatus for a week and we're back now with one of my good friends from college, Anne-Marie. And I'm really excited to have her on today because she and I both graduated with the same major. Anne-Marie is one year older than me. And so we overlapped for three years in college and she graduated with the same degree, vocal performance, but then her path changed a little bit and she ended up just getting her master's degree in speech language pathology, which is super cool. And even though it's a very different path and it's way more science oriented, the two majors have a lot of similarities. So I'm really excited to chat with her today about how the voice, like how classical singing relates to speech pathology. And Amory also has a lot of other cool endeavors. She actually started an Etsy shop and has her own small business, which is amazing. So we're going to chat with her about that today. So thank you so much for being on the podcast today, Emery. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> yeah. So do you want to tell my listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. So like Emily said, I started off um, as a vocal performance major and um, I always had a passion for the voice and for classical singing. And shortly after I graduated, how I found my way into speech pathology is I ended up injuring my voice um, at some point during my college career and um, had to go to voice therapy and rehab. And that's when I discovered the field of speech pathology, which obviously now I'm very passionate about and just graduated with my master's degree and um, somehow found my way also into <laughs> the t-shirt making business. I make um, handmade items, sell them on Etsy, and that's been really fun over COVID, something to keep my hands busy and keep occupied during the time. Nice. Awesome. So you said you had a, a vocal, um, like a vocal health issue. Yeah. So I, for a long time, I knew something was kind of wrong, but there was nothing obviously wrong, if that makes sense. So my speaking voice sounded fine, but I was having a lot of trouble hitting high notes. And since I had recently graduated, I wasn't taking voice lessons anymore. I wasn't singing consistently. So I was like, maybe I'm just out of practice. Maybe that's what's wrong. But it went on for several months and it got to the point where I couldn't even sing musical theater anymore and my voice wouldn't even go like anywhere near its range being a soprano, what I used to do in the past. And I just kept having a hunch something's wrong and everyone met really well and everyone around me would say like, oh, you know, I'm sure it's fine. Your voice will come back. Your voice sounds good. Don't worry about it. And while they all met really well, um, I definitely wish I would have sought help sooner and that it's not like an extreme measure by any means to get evaluated by an ENT or a laryngologist, but it felt like such a big deal at the time because it's like admitting like, okay, there's something wrong that I can't fix. And that's hard to admit. Um, but then I went to the ENT and they found a very small um, lesion on my vocal folds. So just a tiny little bump and which we call polyp. And it's almost like, it was almost imperceptible to the human eye, like an untrained laryngologist might have totally missed it, but I went to a voice specialist and so they found it and they were like, this might have been causing 
the difficulty with hitting the high notes because when you're a soprano and you have to sing at those high frequencies, like any disturbance to your vocal folds and you're going to notice, you're going to feel something is different. And also they noticed that my muscles were not quite operating the way that they should. There was a lot of extra tension in there, which it's like a chicken or the egg, like was the polyp possibly caused by lots of excess tension during my singing or was the excess tension caused because I had this lesion that developed for whatever reason, whether it's like acid reflux or um, some sort of like phonotrauma, which is just like overuse essentially. So yeah, we're not really sure why it happens, but um, so I had these two things and I remember at the time being so overwhelmed because I didn't know what either. Now I know what those mean because I'm very comfortable with those terms and I use them all the time. But at the time, like someone saying muscle tension dysphonia sounds really scary. And I Googled it and I couldn't find anything about it. And I was freaking out about it. And I was like, is this like terminal? Like what's happening with my muscles? And um, I ended up going to voice therapy for it where essentially it just means that my muscles were working way harder than they had to be. So by doing some like laryngeal massage and some vocal exercises, I was able to reduce that tension. And um, that's something that now I'm really aware of. I'm just a person that holds tension um, when I get stressed out or when I get nervous. Most people are in some way, like if your back or your neck get like tense. Um, so that's something I have to watch out for in my voice. My voice actually gets tense when I get um, stressed or anxious or anything like that. So yeah, long story short, <laughs> that's my, um, my vocal injury and how I figured that out. Oh my gosh. I can relate to that though, because when I was going into high school, like between eighth grade and freshman year of high school, I had been taking voice lessons and I kind of lost my voice and I went through this whole thing where I was freaked out because I, I had injured myself by belting and my teacher, I like ended up switching teachers, um, through another serendipitous sort of thing, not even because of that, but through something else and it ended up being a blessing in disguise. And, and she helped me through it because she had actually gone to this, um, voice clinic basically, which I think you're familiar with the one in, in the Chicago area that's voice yeah. specific and um and so she knew and she helped me through it but i've been scoped like so many times and just for all the singers out there who are who may be listening like getting scoped is not first of all it's not that scary it's okay um and second of all it's not a bad thing there's this stigma like if you are a singer and you have to get scoped it's like oh no what did you do like what did you mm -hmm. what were you using bad technique or what and oftentimes like i'm sure you know more than i do that things happen that aren't even from bad technique like things happen in your voice um that you don't have control over things can i'm sure happen from bad technique but uh you know, there's really, there shouldn't be the stigma. I was told by a voice teacher once that, um, like sit for singers going to get scoped or going to an ENT is kind of like a checkup for a regular person. And it shouldn't be yeah. like this out of the ordinary thing. And it should be covered by insurance and it should be seen as something that's important and normalized. But in a lot of instances, I don't think it is yet. And, you know, that's unfortunate, but I'm glad that you um, got the help from this uh, voice clinic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I went to a voice specific clinic, which I think is also really important because 
if you go somewhere where there's not um, a voice specialist, they might just look at your vocal folds and see, because in lots of cases, there might not be anything like actually wrong or anything that's going to like hurt you. Like they're looking mostly for like, is there cancer here? Like, is there something blocking the airway? They're not like, oh, does this impact your voice quality like severely for singing an aria? Like they are just like thinking right. about your survival, which, you know, is what they're trained to do. But I think having that other, you need someone who's trained to work with singers because singers are vocal athletes and they need their vocal folds to be in such good condition all the time. Exactly. Yeah. So how did that like vocal injury end up influencing your decision to then study speech? Well, I was super interested in the science behind it all. And I kind of discovered that when I took uh, vocal pedagogy, I was just really fascinated by the vocal folds and um, like the formants and all that stuff. And I really wanted to learn more. And when I was working at, right after college, I took a random job. I was just doing like sales and marketing and I just absolutely hated it. Like I was so bored every day. I didn't get to do anything related to my degree. And one day somebody asked me a question about, um, it was something about like their kid having like a weird sounding voice. And I was just so excited about it. <laughs> like I was so excited to finally get to use the information I learned for my degree. I realized like, oh my gosh, like I need to be doing this. Like I can't be talking about car insurance and all this like every day. Like I need to switch paths. So that was kind of, I think it was actually like right before I ended up discovering I had an injury. So um, it kind of like overlapped in like a weird way where I started discovering speech pathology. And then I was like, maybe I need to see a speech pathologist because my voice isn't quite working right. But um, yeah, so <laughs> it was kind of like a little overlap there where I, I discovered it and then I also needed it. <laughs> yeah, well, that all worked out because obviously now you're doing something that you love a lot more than your previous job. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes it was, it just takes that to realize like what you need to be doing. Like I knew I wanted to be working with people one-on-one. -on -one. I knew that I needed to be doing something um, that I got to use that information. But I was like, how can I use this like knowledge about the voice? Um, except for the only thing I knew was being a voice teacher or being a singer. But at the time, my voice was so unreliable. I just didn't feel comfortable doing that. I wanted to explore explore it more of like intellectually of like, oh, what's actually happening here versus, you know, the singer who's physically exploring what's happening with their voice. So, yeah. That's awesome. But I assume that your experience and your degree in voice probably gave you a leg up in a sense, like when applying to grad schools, because um, even though you didn't have the science background, I know that you took some classes in between to kind of get up to speed so then with that and then add in your your voice degree and that knowledge like did that help you to stand out when you were applying um i think it's hard to say i mean i hope so <laughs> and i think maybe it did i think it's tough to know like what makes a competitive applicant and at the time i definitely didn't feel like it did because i was so intimidated by the people who had all the classes that I, they needed and had all this experience and had research experience and knew all these professors. And I was just kind of coming in from a totally different direction 
um, very new to everything and I didn't know any of the terms and I didn't know any of the lingo that everybody was using. So um, I definitely felt intimidated when reading like all these like, oh, how to apply to grad school. And it was like, don't spell dysphagia wrong. There's two types of dysphagia. And I had never even heard of dysphagia. So I was like, oh my gosh, like what? I didn't even know I should be using that word. Like, is there something I don't know? So I think I felt at the time like it was a negative, but I hoped it would make me stand out. And I hoped it would, you know, be, help me seem unique and have that actual experience. And I think it definitely did once I got into graduate school. And I think having a different background does help to round you out when you're in those situations. And it was very humbling too at times. Um, but I think, yeah, I think it does help to come in from a different field for sure. And I think vocal performance and speech pathology are very related fields. But I think I was more self-conscious at the time about just not being the ideal candidate that I thought would be the one that would be typical, you know, like straight A student from great university with speech pathology degree and all these other experiences. Like I felt like I didn't quite fit that mold, but I felt it, like I fit a different mold, which ended up, you know, still being um, advantageous. Right, right. So did you have a couple different options when you were going into going into schools? Like once you applied, did you get into a bunch of places and have, have some choices? Cause you ended up at a very, very good school which is awesome. And obviously it wasn't just luck or, you know, just because you had a voice degree, it was obviously from a lot of different factors. So I'm curious, like how you chose where you were going to apply and then where to ultimately go. Yeah. So I applied, I think to like 14 schools, which is a little bit ridiculous, maybe like a lot ridiculous. (laughs) Like it was really expensive. It was so much work. But I decided because I was taking um, time off work and I was like sacrificing a lot to take all these classes, I was like, I don't want to waste any time. I want to just get into grad school and any program I can get into, I want to be a speech language pathologist like as soon as possible. And I don't want to take a long time to be doing these classes and um, working a bunch of different jobs and trying to be a student and all that stuff. Um, So... I applied to 14, which is definitely crazy. And I got into one off the bat and it was a good program, but, um, I definitely, it was like the first one I got into. So I was hoping that I would get more acceptances rolling in, but I think I got rejected by way more than half, just like straight up rejected for various reasons. And I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that I did not have all my prerequisites completed when I applied, but I was just like going for it. I was like, I'm just going to apply. And even though I don't fit the criteria and see what happens. And um, yeah, I got into one program and then I got waitlisted at a few and I ended up going to University of Iowa and it was one of the places I got waitlisted at. And actually, I can't take credit for this. It was my dad's idea. He was like, you should send an email <laughs> to the University of Iowa and just like let them know that you're still really interested. Take the prerequisites. So I registered for the prerequisites actually. And then I sent Iowa like a confirmation. I was like, just so you know, I registered for all the prerequisites that you need. Um, just, you know, in case you'd need to know that. And then I got an email back saying like, excellent. Like we put your application back in the pool for consideration. And I was like, oh my gosh. Then I got an email the next day and it was like, oh, um, 
well, you can have an interview either today or tomorrow with two of our professors. And I was like, obviously freaking out. And I said the next day, because I was like wearing my pajamas and I was like, not ready for like a zoom interview or whatever it was going to be. And then, um, the next day I had my interview and I thought it went okay. I had some technical difficulties and I was really nervous. And then I was like eating a snack with my mom. And then I like checked my phone, like probably 30, 40 minutes later and found out that they had admitted me like right after the interview. But I was just like walking around my house, like eating snacks, like, oh, that was so scary. Like, I don't know what happened. So um, that was kind of my little bit strange journey to getting into. Um, and at the time that was like my dream program. Um, so yeah, that taught me a big lesson because I never would have done that um, or thought to do that really because it seems a little crazy to do in academia where everything there's like this kind of rigid, like you are graded by your accomplishments. And if your accomplishments aren't enough, then you just got to let that happen. Like you can't versus I feel like in the work world, it's more of this like active pursuit of getting opportunities and academia is more passive. Like I'm sending my application, let me know what you think. So that taught me a lot about how, sometimes that like active pursuit of what you want, even in a situation where it feels like it might not be appropriate, doesn't hurt as long as you're polite and, you know, follow all those rules. So that was definitely a crazy experience. And it also was humbling for me because even though I got into a great program, I was like this close to not getting into any program at all. And I definitely like that helped motivate me through the program. Yeah, that's a crazy story. But I will say, like, I agree with you, like, just put yourself out there. If you're wondering, like, will this work? Will this not work? Like, just do it. Um, as long as it's not like inappropriate or like too much. Yeah, <laughs> so there, is, there is a fine line. Mm -hmm. Like, there is. But in your case, like, it obviously worked out for the best. And it made you stand out. And sometimes that's all it takes is like, a refresher like oh we forgot about this person but they're interested so like why not like they have nothing to lose by giving you another chance mm -hmm. like they gained a new student off of it and a good one at that so you know sometimes things work out in crazy ways and um yeah I mean how was how was your experience at, at Iowa then I loved my experience there I mean I just totally honestly I have nothing but good things to say and I felt like super lucky too that everybody who was in, like we call it our cohort, like my graduating class, they were all just such incredible people and like very different. Um, everyone had like unique experiences, like came, coming from different. We had a lot more um, students who are like, you know, me like considered a non-traditional student. And we had a lot of traditional students, but I felt like everyone was so mature and so like, passionate about the field but also like there wasn't any sort of competitive nature between everybody which I've heard can sometimes be the case when you're in a program like that it was very much like positive and encouraging and I felt like I can ask like anybody from my cohort now if I have any question about anything going into the um, entering the field as a new speech pathologist like I can lean on them and trust them so that was a huge positive part of it. And then on top of that, um, I just had really great mentors through the whole thing. Like I felt like all my supervisors were just really, um, they were really supportive and also really helpful and gave really helpful advice. And you just like the whole time I was just surrounded by so many 
smart people that it was just really fun. I feel like it's just really fun when you're around people who are just so smart in so many ways. And I just listen to what they'd say and, you know, you're just like, wow, I don't know how you know that, but (laughs) that's really awesome that you do. So that's how I felt like the whole two years of grad school, like everyone was just talking about smart things the whole time. And I was just happy to be absorbing it all. (laughs) I think me and you are very similar. We're kind of nerdy and we both (laughs) like learning a lot. And so we both don't mind like being in academia and just like absorbing information. So some people are not that way, you know, but (laughs) I don't understand it. <laughs> I know, yeah. Of course I love this. Like, <laughs> So you had to end your, your schooling in the middle of a pandemic, which is unfortunate. <laughs> um, how did that end up going for you? I know that you were back in the Chicago area um, for most of the pandemic, yeah? Yeah, so for our like last semester of graduate school, we do um, like externships. So it's like a full-time, um, not really like you're a speech pathologist, but you essentially like do the job of a speech pathologist with people highly supervising you and like helping you through it. And so I was in my second one um, in Chicago and um, it ended like very, very suddenly, like in the middle of the day, I got sent home and it was just, I was not expecting it. I mean, I was kind of expecting it because at the time everything was kind of shutting down, like schools were shutting down. And then you found out that people were like, go to the grocery store and buy all your food. Cause everything is going to shut down in a couple of days. And it was just a really scary time. And then they ended up deciding they didn't want students there, which, you know, makes sense. Like they don't want extra people there when you've got a potentially really dangerous virus that nobody really knew about um, just because of liability. So I got sent home and at first I wasn't really sure what was going to happen, but luckily I got so many clinic hours at my previous position. I only needed um, like 30 or 40 more in order to graduate. So I ended up doing them digitally through a program called SimuCase. So um, people make fun of it a lot cause it's like definitely not as good as like working with a real person. Like it's like a little simulation and you click on questions to ask and you click on tests to give and you click your way through it, but there's still something to learn from it. And I got my hours in and, um, our graduation ceremony was all virtual and everything like that. And, um, I actually had to still finish. I decided to do a thesis. So I had to finish my thesis all virtually and, Um, my data I couldn't have access to. So thank goodness I already put it up in like a cloud drive right before the pandemic, like weeks before. So uh, I was able to have access to that when they shut down schools and everything like that. But yeah, it it was just very surreal. And I think it just didn't feel very, it doesn't feel like as real as like a real graduation ceremony, but it was still, there were some good things that happened because of it. Like people put extra effort, I feel like, into making it a special um, moment for us. But yeah, it's just crazy. Yeah, I can imagine you probably don't get like the same feeling of like closure and ending an amazing two years. Like you just kind of like it's over and you're home. And Mm -hmm. that's got to be kind of weird in a sense. Yeah, and I think the part, one of the most disappointing parts is that, you know, 
like I mentioned, as a cohort, we were all really close. And so we were all really looking forward to seeing each other at the end of our externships because we just hadn't seen each other for a long time and, you know, taking pictures together and being able to celebrate and like see each other for one last time before we all went our different ways. And we didn't really get that ending, which was kind of sad because the last time we were all together, we definitely thought that we were going to see each other at graduation so with that added element of like oh my gosh I don't know if I'm going to be in the same room with all those people that I spent two years with ever again just kind of sad yeah that's like super disappointing I know that's how you know most of the seniors whether that's high school college like whatever that's kind of what everyone's going through and I was just glad I wasn't in school when this all hit but I have family members that are we're finishing up high school, finishing up college. And it's like so unsatisfying to not have that graduation. And then just disappointing in like the social aspect, like you were saying, like, you don't know if you're going to see some of these people ever again, potentially. And that's already something Mm -hmm. very sad when you do have a graduation, let alone when you're just like ripped away from people and then don't even get that um, like final ceremony or graduation. So yeah. So I'm sorry that you had to deal with that. Um, That's definitely one huge downside, one of many huge downsides to the pandemic. Um, But one good thing that happened in the pandemic, I think, uh, hopefully this is good for you, but like starting your small business, Speech Pop. Yeah, that was totally random. I did not see that one coming at all. Um, It honestly, I think it all kind of started, well, I just like made gifts for people I bought a cricket for myself, like for my birthday last year, just like for fun, just to play with it and like make stuff. And if you don't know what a cricket is, it's like a digital die cutting machine. So you can like cut out any shape you want, which doesn't sound that exciting until you can like cut out like certain kinds of adhesive and put it on mugs and you can make custom t-shirts and you can make custom wall hangings and like anything, like the possibilities with that. I just got really excited about. (laughs) Yeah, it's fancy. It's a fancy machine. Yeah, I love my Cricut. Now I realize it was a very good investment. But at the time, I was like, oh, this is just for fun. So I made gifts and stuff for people using that um, just kind of randomly for a while. And the gifts I would make were for my, like, cohort. And they were just kind of, like, nerdy, like, speech gifts. And I had um, an Instagram account that I run for my pathology things because, like I said, I'm very obsessed with speech pathology now that I'm um, in the field. So I posted some pictures to that and they got a lot of like traction and people were like, oh, can I buy this? And I was like, no, I just kind of make them for fun. Um, and then I was off for a week, actually, like right before the pandemic hit. It was, um, I think, like the first week in March. And I was like, hmm, maybe I can like make these for other people. So I bought like a bunch of equipment to like, or not equipment, but I bought like a heat press, um, which was kind of an investment. And my initial goal was just to pay off the cost of the heat press. I was like, I'll sell like 10 or 20 t-shirts just to pay for the cost of doing this. Cause I think this is really fun. And then I sold 10, like in a half hour or something. And I was like, Oh my gosh. Okay. So there's like more to this. Like, if I sold 10 in a half hour, I've got to do this again. Right. And like see more. And so I kept kind of doing like batches of 10, um, and then batches of like 15 maybe at a time, because that's all that I could make. And then it ended up being too big for Instagram was just too much work to DM people and get their addresses. So I went over to Etsy and I did Etsy for a while. And then 
Um, I must have had like a lot of like, I don't know, like ener creative energy like during COVID. And then I was like, I could do a website and I can do all this stuff and different designs. And at first I handmade every single item and I mostly still do that. Um, which is a lot of work, which now I'm like, I don't know how much longer I'll be able to, you know, continually hand make all these items. Um, but then I started working with manufacturers, which was like a really crazy thing. I like had to Google and basically I figured out how to run a business through like Google and YouTube. So there's so many good resources out there. If like you're feeling inspired and want to start a business or anything, like you can find anything on YouTube and Google like seriously it's crazy like I learned how to do I learned how to make t-shirts off of that and then I learned how to sell them and I learned how to make pins and stickers and all that other stuff so yeah that was something I definitely didn't see coming but once it grew it just kind of grew and I just it it's not like I did it quite on purpose like I kind of did I catered to the need but it just kind of grew without me even um, knowing what was going on so I was always trying to catch up and um, like keep manage this thing that I had created that I didn't really know what to do with at first. <laughs> yeah, well, it's amazing. I mean, I, I knew that you were doing it because I, I'm pretty sure I started following your Instagram page, like, I don't know, pretty soon after you made it, maybe once it started to gain some traction. And then I saw the sweaters that you were making during the pandemic that said, uh, your voice matters. Oh yeah. Yeah. Is the one that I got? And I mean, as a singer, I like that. As a person, I like that. Like, that's just a great message. And it also, it's so cute. Like, did you, do you hand draw any of it? Or do you use, like, how do you, do you stencil it? Like, how does that work? I'm so, so I curious. draw the designs mostly on my iPad for things that are, um, like for the stickers and things that are like really unique and for things that are mostly like text, I honestly think I just kind of used PowerPoint and I like put it together. Like it was super like grassroots, just like me trying to figure out how to do stuff, like no fancy software, like nothing like that. Like, and the first one was like so simple. It was just the rainbow speech. And that's still like my by far best selling item. And, you know, nothing really complicated. It's just speech in different colors. So, <laughs> you know, that um, it took a little bit to get all of the measurements and everything correct. Um, took like some trial and error to get all that and to figure out how to do the heat press and make everything consistent. But yeah, so I use a combination of like, honestly, PowerPoint and my iPad. I have Procreate and I draw on there for the things that are a little bit more complex or have more patterns and stuff like that in them. It's so cool. It looks so professional. I'm telling you, everyone who's <laughs> listening right now, like, go look this up. It's speech pop on Etsy, yeah? Mm -hmm, on Etsy, and I have my own site now, too. So you can just go to speechpop.com if you're curious. Oh, cool. Yeah, that was a little bit, I found out later, I was, like, reading a bunch of Etsy things, and they were like, oh, after, like, one to two years of selling on Etsy, maybe you are ready to start your own website and I just like I don't know why I thought it'd be a good idea I was like I'm gonna start mine right now and so I got really excited and I wanted to buy the website because once I had the name I wanted to make sure no one else was gonna buy the web not that anyone else is gonna buy speech pop but you know I just wanted to like own the website I wanted to own the all the handles so that I didn't have to change it later for any reason so <laughs> yeah you can find it all sorts of places it's just so impressive and so entrepreneurial of you like to, to do that. And 
And it's just so inspiring too, because you did this like all in the midst of a pandemic, first of all, and then while you were finishing up your thesis and your literal <laughs> master's degree. So, um, you know, for anyone that doesn't have motivation in the pandemic, like <laughs> Anne-Marie's got all the motivation over here. She's stealing it from everyone. She's just got so much drive for this and it's, it's really just so inspiring. Well, I don't know if I would say that. Like, I've definitely had my days where I was like sitting on the couch all day and, <laughs> you know, just like everyone else. I think a big part of it is that most of the stuff is stuff I do to procrastinate anyway. Um, and that kind of helped it fuel this like hamster wheel of procrastination and like always catching up on my work. Yeah. I mean, is it kind of like therapeutic for you to, to make the shirts and to do the designs? Yeah, honestly, it just, it's nice sometimes. I think when we spend like all day at work and stuff like on a computer and I think I get like when I'm actually like seeing clients and doing speech therapy, I get a little bit of that like out where I'm like talking to somebody and not looking at a screen, but I think I just get so sick of just staring at a screen and clicking things all day that it's just really nice to like have something real in front of you that you're making um, just like a different, I feel like it, it's like a different action and yeah, it is kind of therapeutic. Sometimes I get bored of doing like the same thing over and over again, like cutting out the same shape over and over and over again. But you know, I'll put on like some music I like or a TV show and I'll just kind of, it feels like I'm relaxing, especially when I have something more important to do. <laughs> so that was kind of the hamster wheel of the thesis of like, okay, I'm writing my thesis and then I'm also um, starting a company, I guess. <laughs> so I think that procrastination motivation just kind of was like a, it was like an energy cycle that fed each like other thing. <laughs> yeah, I totally get that. I don't procrastinate a whole lot anymore just because I don't really have a lot to procrastinate on, but I can sort of relate, like I started the podcast in the pandemic and that was my little way of like escaping and doing something else. And um, it's not nearly as successful as your business, but uh, but I totally relate to, to using that as like an outlet or procrastination. And, and I think that's awesome. I, mean, I think we all need something like that, especially with the pandemic and the craziness of everything going on. Like it's nice to have something else that we can go to. And um, but I do want to say just cause I feel bad. I just talked about like how we're, we're both being so productive and stuff, but like, again, just to clarify, it's okay. If in the pandemic, you're not that productive, it's okay <laughs> if you didn't start your own business or your own podcast or your own anything, because we're all struggling out here. And, um, and I don't want to make anyone feel bad by saying that or talking <laughs> about like how successful, you know, everyone is, but I'm just glad that and it's going so well for you and, and it's just so exciting and um, hopefully it continues to grow and uh, I'll definitely be buying some more t-shirts and sweatshirts and whatever and I'm not even a speech pathologist person but just as a singer I love anything that's got like your voice in it anything like that. Yeah I've got my larynx shirt on right now. <laughs> oh my gosh yes! yes. Yeah, because I'm so nerdy. I was like, I'm going to put a lyrics on a shirt. But yeah, that's, <laughs> that's the type I of thing I'm doing. What does it say? It says, lyrics love. <laughs> I'm dying. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, like, sneaked it in there. So it's like, you know, it's like a tie-dye shirt. So it's, it might be cool. But no, it's got lyrics on it. <laughs> Very nerdy, but I love it. I support it for sure. Um, amazing. 
So moving on to what you're currently doing and what your plan is for the future. And just so all my listeners get the full picture here, not only are you doing all these things, but you are planning a wedding in the pandemic as well, because Anne-Marie is engaged to my good friend also. I'm friends with both of them um, and I'm super excited for them. And so she's planning a wedding and she is, you know, job searching and all these things. So I'm just curious how that's all going for you. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, um, it's definitely been a challenge for all of, you know, all of the above. Um, I think the hardest part with wedding planning is that we don't really know what it's going to look like. I mean, I think the only thing we know for sure with COVID is that we have no idea what it's going to do or what restrictions are going to happen or if it's going to get worse or if it's going to get better. And so that's obviously really difficult because planning a wedding on its own is, um, you know, stressful and challenging. And so when you add a pandemic to that and this giant question mark of like, is it going to be allowed for even more than 50 people to be in an enclosed space? Do I want to do that? Even if there are, it is allowed. Do I want to risk um, having to uninvite people? Do I want to book things and then maybe have them be canceled or have to cancel my wedding? So it was definitely a long time of just like not knowing what to do. And I just kind of paused all my wedding planning for a while and was like, okay, I'm just going to wait this out and see what happens. But then I waited it out and nothing really, I didn't find anything out. I was like, no one knows what's going to happen in the future. So waiting it out doesn't really help. So um, we ended up deciding to just do, and I think a lot of people are doing this now, like a really intimate, like family only wedding ceremony and then doing like a big reception with our families um, next year when hopefully this will be blown over. And if not, you know, we'll figure that out as it goes because we've got some time um, to plan that one. But yeah, I mean, planning anything right now, I think if this has shown us anything, it's that like you really can't plan, you know, we really don't know what's going to happen. So it's just a, a tough time to be in any sort of big transition, I think. <laughs> yeah, and I think like we're both in our mid 20s, like going on the later side of that. Um, you're one year older than me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're both like mid to late twenties. I hate saying that. It's like weird. <laughs> I know. But, um, mid twenties. We'll just say mid. Um, Cause I'm, I'm 25. I just turned 25. So it's like right in the middle. Yeah. I'm on and, my way out of my twenties now, which is also scary. Ah, <laughs> uh, Yeah. Well, we don't have to think about it. You're still in the twenties. So still young. Yeah. But, yeah. But yeah, I think like for me, I'm such a planner and I don't know about you, but I am like huge planner. I have to like, have a whole, like I make outlines for like, like what my summer is going to look like, what my fall is going to look like, like before I ever even know like what's going on. And I try to like outline out my life. And this pandemic has really forced me to not do that anymore. And it's like forcing me to take a step back. And it sounds like for you too, it's, it's doing that very similarly where like you can plan out as much as you want, but there's no guarantee that it's going to go the way that you planned it. And that's okay. You kind of have to make peace with that because what else are you going to do? Like you can't fight it. You can't like force your way through a pandemic. Like, right. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't work. So mm -hmm. yeah, but it sounds like you're making the best of it, which is awesome. 
Yeah, I think this just like made me think of one of my um, supervisors in grad school said something and she said like, I think it was along the lines of life is like a series of inconveniences. And I remember at the time thinking that was like so depressing, but I think now I really understand. It's like, you just got to deal, you know what I mean? Like you just got to deal with it. Like that is a part, a part of life is like the flat tires and the things not working right. And um, things getting canceled. Like that's just a part of it. Like that's not getting in the way of it. Like, so I think this is just kind of also forced me to come to terms with that too. Like, yeah, you can plan what you want, but COVID is going to do what COVID's going to do regardless of how elaborate my wedding plans are. So I just have to be flexible and be content with being flexible, which, you know, honestly for right now I think is okay. Cause it just makes me realize what's more important. And even though I'm, you know, all excited about all the details, like any bride would be like all the fun little stuff. Um, at the end of the day, I'm just, you know, happy that my family can be there and, um, I'm excited to celebrate with them all when it's going to be safe and we won't have to have all of these worries and fears and face masks and all that. So, yeah. Right. And you're still going to get married. Yeah. So that's the, <laughs> the best part. <laughs> exactly. Because when it comes down to it, like, I don't know, I like to kind of strip things down and look at them like as simply as I can, because sometimes everything gets overcomplicated and it's like... Hmm. Yeah, like it's terrible that you can't have the big celebration that you might want, but also like you're still going to get married and you're still, you know, with that person and that's like all that really matters in when it comes down to it. So, right. Even though it's like highly disappointing and I'm not trying to like undermine <laughs> anything or like downplay how horrible it is cuz I know it's it's not ideal, but sometimes if you just look at like the simplicity of a situation and and just realize like it's you know you still have you still have something to look forward to and like not everything is canceled right yeah exactly like it can't cancel us getting married and even though like right now I've come to terms with it and it took like months of like back and forth of like what should I do should we postpone for a year like what's what are we going to do and it was definitely really hard and really stressful because then, you know, it just makes you question everything. You're like, oh, well, am I selfish for wanting all this fun stuff? Or, and then you realize like, no, I'm, that's just what everybody wants. Like, it's okay to want a big wedding and it's okay to want one, even though there's a pandemic, but then just taking a step back and being realistic, even though it still hurts and it still is tough to accept that and realize like, this is going to be different than what I pictured. But I think now I'm at the point of acceptance where instead of thinking like, oh my gosh, I'm having to compromise with this. Like I'm, I'm very happy with what I've decided and I'm looking forward to it, but it definitely was a path to get to that point of like figuring out what's the best thing and what's not just like the best thing to do. Cause there is no best thing, but what's the best thing for me and my fiance and what's the best thing for our families and what's going to make the most sense with our lives and what we want. So yeah, just because now it seems like I'm, you know, comfortable with it, but it was definitely like a road to get there. And I think for anyone who's like a Corona bride or got engaged recently, it's like a similar boat where you're happy with what you end up with. Obviously, you know, your, your wedding, most people wouldn't change it for anything. But at the same time, it's hard when those details don't go how you plan or it has to be drastically different than what you um, pictured. 
at least you're definitely looking at the positives, which is awesome. And um, I don't know if I'd be able to do the same if, if I were in your shoes. So, um, so I just think, yeah, good for you. Cause I, I know it's hard and we may sometimes like simplifying it makes it sound like it's all easy and fine, but it's not. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, it's good to just be realistic about it too. Yeah. But you're so right. Like at the end of the day, like, you know, we're getting married and that's what it's about. So I'm definitely, I'm excited for it. And, you know, I still can plan it and have fun with it in the ways that I want. And now I get two weddings. So. (laughs) Yeah. And it's just super exciting. It's so exciting for you anyway. So. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast and sharing all your words of wisdom and hearing about your business and your, your speech pathology degrees but thank you so much it's been really fun having you on Anne Marie yeah thanks for having me I'm so glad I got to be a part of this it's fun to be on a podcast <laughs> <laughs> yeah now your podcast famous so hey Ooh. And that's <laughs> yeah really I'll have to add that <laughs> <laughs> all right well thanks everyone for tuning in and I will see you all next week